0: That they don't make it as a professional athlete, which most won't, the majority won't actually achieve the heights of being a Premier League footballer or a Women's Super League footballer. So we have to prepare them for the worst. And that's hard. You know, that's a difficult job when you're trying to inspire young people to be the best that they can be. You're also at the same time saying, but there's a good chance you're going to fail.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions, and robust strategies to help their companies thrive. We'll be interviewing business leaders, owners, experts, and thought leaders in the field of business resilience. Do enjoy the episode. Welcome to Helping Organizations Thrive. Uh, Today, I have Paul Barber on the show. Uh, Good afternoon to you, Paul. Good afternoon. Good to see you. You're you're the CEO and Deputy Chairman of Brighton & Hove Albion Football Club. Uh, You joined that in back in 2012. um, And in your first season with Brighton, uh, the club secured its highest league position for over 30 years, uh, made the championship playoffs, uh, enjoyed the highest average attendance in its division, and it signed its largest ever shirt sponsorship agreement, uh, a multi-year deal with American Express, um some of the accolades for you uh, which might might be more embarrassing for you me telling you this but um, i'm going to keep going with this um you were named overall ceo of the year for england scotland and championship ceo of the year at the football industry awards in 2013 and won the sports executive of the year at 2016 international stadium business awards and recently you've been recognized uh to your services to football at the new year's honors list I've been awarded an OBE, so well done to you, Paul.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Yes, all right. So, And today we're going to be talking about and exploring uh, sort of developing sustainable talent, how you do that within the context where you work in, in sort of Brighton Football Club, uh, but also look, how we help people deal with failure along the way for that sort of development to happen. Uh, but before we go there, Paul, I'd like to ask you, what do you love about what you do?
0: <laughs> well... I think it's a real privilege to work in a in a business and an industry that that you grew up loving from a small child. And for me, football was always a, a very big and important part of my life um, from from being very young. Like a lot of boys and girls these days, I wanted to be a professional footballer. I wasn't quite good enough um, to to make the highest level, unfortunately. Um, but always hoped at some point in my career I'd end up working uh, in in football and earning my living from it. And I've been very fortunate. Uh, to have had that opportunity for the last twenty-five, nearly twenty-six years now. Excellent.
1: So um, we're talking about building talent and building sustainable talent today, and how we develop that. But what is that for you? That phrase, sustainable talent. What does it mean to you in your in the context that you've been in now, but also for the last twenty-five years?
0: Well, I think this business, like like many other sports, is not about making things or creating things. You know, we rely on human beings to entertain people. And that means um acquiring that talent, developing that talent and and hopefully retaining it over a a long period because the longer that we can keep our talent and develop it, um, the more chance we've got of success both on the field and off the field. So this is very much a people business. It's very much a a highly competitive people business. We've got a lot of other professional football clubs, not just in the UK but around the world that um, see what we do. In some cases, admire what we do, and, and, and in other cases, want the talent that we've got to make their own uh, organisations better. So, for us, human talent is really important, and um, you know, it's a very, very big part of my day-to-day role.
1: And and how do you go about that? I mean, it's it's an easy thing to say, isn't it? I want to develop my talent. I want it to be the best. I want it to be sustainable. Uh, the how bit, which is the the nuts and crux of things. How have you gone about that? What, what's been the, your intent and your focus uh, over time? What have you learned in your sort of uh, time as being a CEO?
0: Well, I think the first thing is is that we have a very clear vision. Um, we, we know exactly where we want the organization to go. Um, and we've got a, a very good idea on, on how we intend to get there. And we build a lot of that work around some very consistent values, um, which are not something that we preach, not something that we talk about every day, but we certainly make sure that our... Our employees are aware of, of, first of all, the vision and what we're trying to achieve, both for our men's team and for our women's team, and also what the the organization's values are and how we expect people to behave with each other day to day. I think those two things are inherent in in both acquiring the talent in the first place, because if we don't um, hire people that are prepared to live those values, then sooner or later the organization will reject them. Either they won't fit or colleagues around them will will realize that they're not the sort of person that the organization would typically hire and things would break down. So we start from that premise where the vision and the values are really important. Um, we then have regular uh, appraisals. We don't wait 12 months to appraise someone's performance. We try and do that almost day by day, week by week by giving constant feedback and encouragement. We have a training and development program for for staff members. We also have a a succession planning process where we work really hard at identifying the top 25 positions in the organization and ensuring that we have a plan to replace each of those individuals should the need arise. And, and in this business, whether it's another club taking our playing talent or our coaching talent or another club or another organization taking our, our staff that are not directly connected to the football side of the business, we have a plan in place to replace those people. And sometimes that plan will be replacing someone from inside the organization with someone from inside the organization. And sometimes it means we have to look further afield to replace any talent that we lose. But either way, at any one point in time, the top 25 jobs in the organization have got a succession plan ready to go should we need it.
1: You talked about sort of vision and values there. Um, How do you, well, firstly, make sure that people are aligned to that and, are part of that and are signed up to that but also how do you deal with those uh, perhaps individuals that don't align uh, what, what's your sort of process is there a process um, and how do you guarantee people get alignment to that
0: yeah first of all i think it's important to spend a lot of time getting the recruitment as right as you can in the first place i mean every organization makes mistakes on recruitment and we're no different we we have made and we'll no doubt make uh, more mistakes in, in the future. But we try and minimise the chances of that by, by going through a lot of processes in, in, in terms of our shortlists and our interview processes and our techniques to interview. And we also try and share our interviewing around not just the senior people, but But people that are going to be working on the same level, people that might be working for the people that we're bringing in, just so that we try and get as holistic a a view of of any candidates as as we can. I think that's pretty important. Sometimes when it doesn't work out, it's about being honest and and direct and explaining why um, it isn't working, trying to support and help to see if there's a way in which we can bridge whatever gap may exist. And sometimes that's possible and sometimes it isn't. And when it isn't, it's about having a frank and open conversation to, to bring the, the situation to to a head. And there's no point in pursuing a hire that isn't working, because actually what you're doing, first of all, you're spending a lot of time and energy that really should be deployed elsewhere. And secondly, if after a, a period, it's clear it's not going to work, and you've tried everything you can to bridge whatever gap exists, and it's still not working, then it's probably better for everyone concerned that you have that that frank conversation. And and we're not afraid to have that. We've had it many times from senior levels to, to more junior levels. It's never easy. It's not, not a comfortable conversation. But actually, certainly in our experience, in, in, in almost every uh, occasion, it's ended up being better for us and also better for the individual concerned. So not easy, but, but something sometimes in business you have to do.
1: And is this how important the sort of vision and values alignment is, is to you in terms of developing that talent and making people sustainable in your business?
0: Well, professional sport at the highest level, by definition, is highly competitive. So if you stand still, you're going to get caught and overtaken. So our development of people is actually aligned to what we're trying to achieve as an organisation. We're trying very hard to be a top 10 Premier League club in, 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 this, in, in the Premier League um, every season. That's very difficult because there's a lot of other clubs that are trying to do that. And we're trying to be a top four club in the Women's Super League. Again, there's a lot of other clubs that are trying to do that. So we can't afford to stand still. We can't afford for our people to reject development and, and improvement. We have to have people that are prepared to embrace that. Um, unfortunately, we do. Um, but again, it's a, it's a continual process. It's not something we can ever sit back and say, right, we've finished ninth as we did last year. We've achieved the vision of a top 10 finish. Uh, the vision is about doing that on a consistent basis. Um, we haven't yet achieved a top four finish in the Women's Super League, so we're still striving to, to achieve the other part of the vision. But these are deliberately stretching targets. They're not, no, they're not there to make it easy for us or, our, or for our people. Um, and so we have to just keep pushing hard and, and developing our staff and improving the talent that we have, sometimes increasing it in certain areas if we feel that we're deficient is also part of that process.
1: And in your sort of 25 years of working in this industry, uh, have you got an example where, perhaps in terms of developing people, it didn't go quite as well as you'd liked it to? But actually, it created you a, I suppose, a learning moment or an opportunity to actually do things differently going forward. I know mean, you might have an example, and I don't know.
0: Well, I think I think in this business you you see it all the time because we're we're scrutinised to to such a degree in in, in pre- Premier League football that. We're critiqued every week and our performances on the field particularly are critiqued every week. So, you know, when we got to the Premier League, it was seen as a, a as a huge achievement. We then managed to stay in the Premier League and have stayed in the Premier League for six seasons now. But those first two seasons, we we stayed just about in the Premier League by the skin of our teeth. We We, we did well to do that, but we felt that we could do better. We felt that our performances could improve. We thought that the style of football we played could improve. So we took a very difficult decision to... Um, replaced the the coach that had taken us to the Premier League and then kept us in the Premier League. A very popular coach, Chris Hewton, um, a, a close friend, a, a good friend, someone I'd known for many years in football. But we took that decision because we felt that we could push even further. Um, and you know that that's a good example of where even though on the outside people have perceived us to be successful and we had been, we felt that we could go even further. And we replaced Chris, which was a difficult thing to do. We brought in Graham Potter. And within three years, we'd, we'd achieved that ninth place finish. And now, currently, as we speak, we're sitting in sixth in the Premier League. Uh, and so we're pushing on again now that, that Graham Potter, Chris's replacement, has moved to, to Chelsea. So there's always room for improvement. You can't get every single hire right. You can't get every single decision wrong. Mm-hmm. And the thing about professional sport is it's not a straight line of success. There's going to be bumps at the road. And building resilience in the organisation to withstand those bumps is another important part of this job.
1: And just just building on that that resilience piece that uh, you are publicly criticised, as you say, um, on a a weekly, possibly daily basis, various social media. Hourly
0: sometimes.
1: Hourly, I'm sure, hourly, uh, and and newspapers and everything else. Um, And obviously, the players obviously get it quite directly and it's quite against them in terms of, I'm sure, names are mentioned. How does the, I would say, the back office, the rest of the organisation deal with that? And how do you help them deal with some of that Real, sometimes real negative, which I think is unhelpful, to be honest. But that's how it is.
0: Yeah, it, it, you know, it used to be negativity that was expressed in the pub after the game, and and these days it's more likely to be uh, expressed on social media, which of course makes it far more visible um, for anyone that's on the receiving end of it, potentially far more hurtful and far far more impactful and damaging. So we have to build resilience into the organisation in lots of different ways, and and being able to develop a thick skin and, and understanding that actually this constant feedback this constant comment on what we do and how we do it and why we do it and why we haven't done things is just simply part and parcel of of our of our jobs and it's something that you know even as a chief executive you have to build that that resilience that thick skin to to being judged on as i said before almost on an hourly basis when it comes to social media the other thing i think you you know in our world we we are used to people um Dissecting everything we say and 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 literally analysing every word for a meaning that is perhaps to them hidden, um, and looking for you know to draw in interpretations maybe that 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 really there there is no need to draw. But that's part again. It's part and parcel of being a high profile sport. Um, it's. The reason why it's the most watched sport in the world it's the reason why it generates more revenues than any other sport in the world and you can't have it both ways you can't be part of a huge business that, that football has become and not expect scrutiny and if you get scrutiny then you've got to have resilience and if you have resilience you've got to develop a thick skin and if you have a thick skin you have to learn to live with some of the uh, the comments that come with, with 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 that, and all of these things are uh, things that we work on internally. We, we we work with our players on to to make them understand, you know, what it's going to be like to be a top level uh, sportsman, uh, sportswoman in this in this world that we live in. And also for our staff, we we teach them that not everything they're going to read in the papers about their employer is going to be complimentary. Not every week is going to be a good week. Not every day is going to be a good day. So. Um, again, that resilience is, is, is as much psychological as it is physical. Um, physical resilience just comes from having processes and policies and procedures that protect people in that instance. And if, if there are examples where someone's overstepped the mark and that, that comment or that criticism has become abusive in any way, then as a club, our, our employees know that we will act and, and we will expect the authorities to act when it really does overstep them. Thankfully, that happens very, very rarely. Um, and you know, when it does, the authorities usually respond very positively.
1: And how do you take that public feedback? I appreciate thick skin. I appreciate you, you work on policies, and you probably work on how to sort of manage that internally. How do you take that? There might be some some element of insights that could help you uh, for some reason in the context how do you sort of decide and just just bring that down to a point of actually this could be really helpful let's take yeah
0: very often um you know the the comments we do receive whether they come via social media or direct to email or letters or or whatever it might be you know they can actually provide us with useful insight into elements of business that may not be working for the fans as well as as they should be so it's not all about criticizing us and us uh, us sort of developing a thick skin to, to to ignore it sometimes it can be very positive and useful probably the quickest form of market research that we could we could ever imagine um, but equally when when those comments are wide of the mark where it's just a single opinion against 30 40000 other opinions that are different then we we have to be quite robust and and reject some of that uh, criticism as being personal to that individual it may or may not be justified but you know, sometimes these things get painted as being sort of uh, some kind of large scale systemic problem, when in fact it was one individual who, for whatever reason, their digital ticket failed to get in. The system didn't fail, but but their ticket did. And, you know, we will respond to that and help them and make sure it doesn't happen again as far as we can. But if it's been presented to the outside world via Twitter as a systemic problem, uh, then we do reject that and, and we will respond to that. But there's always learning. And, and in football, you know, there are thousands of people that come every week and they will all have different experiences. And some of those experiences won't be as good as we want them to be. We want to know about that and we want to be able to act on that to make the overall fan experience when they come to watch us better. Um, And sometimes that means that that we do have to accept that we've got some things wrong. And of course we do. This is, as I said before, it's a people business. We rely on hundreds and hundreds of people to all come together on a match day to make a fan's experience as good as it can be. One thing we can't directly control is what actually happens on the pitch. You know, top level sport is a competition. It will there'll be good days and there'll be bad days. But, but what we can do as far as is possible is to, to manage the, the, the situation that the fans experience off the pitch. Uh, and that's where that kind of feedback can be really useful for us.
1: Yeah, because you're in the the business of entertaining people, as you said at the very start. That's that's what you're about. Um, watching a game of football, football is, is for entertainment, and that's the whole, I guess, purpose mm-hmm. of it. Um, part of your mission statement is to develop the potential of young people seeking to achieve sporting excellence. And I know you've got a real passion about bringing sort of young sort of. Um, Boys and girls through your academies, uh, t- talk to me a little bit about that, and then your sort of, I guess, your culture behind that, and your mindset behind that, and intentions.
0: Yeah, the, the academy is a really important part of our of our of our club for, for two reasons. First of all, we're we're not the size of the club that is going to be able to compete with the biggest clubs in the world in the transfer market. So developing our own talent and being able to, at some point in the future, either have that talent play in our, our first teams or be sold on to some of our big arrivals so that we can generate revenue that we can reinvest in the club is a, a really important part of what we do. But also the, the academy is an opportunity for young people to, fulfill their dreams and, and you know like me many years ago the dream of being a professional footballer was was, was very, very very special but the academy system at that time in the country wasn't set up the way it is now and you know when we bring the young people into our academy we're, we're doing two things first of all we want them to be excellent athletes and ultimately excellent footballers but we also want them to leave the academy if they don't make it as professional athletes to be good people. And so the education process that the, the youngsters receive in our academy is, is a 360 degree process of making sure, first of all, we, we help them achieve their athletic talent and their footballing talent to the, the highest potential, but also we don't allow that to detract from their academic work and, and the uh, academic processes that they still have to follow as young people But the third part of it is to actually round them as human beings and and help them and help their parents and help their families ensure that if they do go out into the outside world, either as athletes or as people that are going to pursue a different profession, that they conduct themselves in the right way, that they know the difference between right and wrong, that we've helped them as far as we possibly can to prepare for the eventuality that they don't make it as a professional athlete, which most won't, the majority won't actually achieve the heights of being a Premier League footballer or a Women's Super League footballer. So we have to prepare them for the worst. And that's hard. You know, that's a difficult job when you're trying to inspire young people to be the best that they can be. You're also at the same time saying, but there's a good chance you're going to fail. So we need to actually make sure that if you do fail you're equipped to deal with the world in the right uh, frame of mind and with the right skills and also with an education that will support you to go on to university or to an apprenticeship or whatever it happens to be outside of of being a professional athlete. That's a real skill in itself to, to assemble a group of people in the academy to help those young people through all of those different challenges. It wasn't there when I was an aspiring footballer, and now I'm very proud that it is, not just at our club, but right the way across the Premier League and beyond, that we do have academies that are very, very well-equipped to to help young people develop.
1: So, yeah, you almost presented a conundrum there, isn't it? You've got this inspiration. You could be the next professional footballer um, and playing for Brighton with the other path that probably, I don't know what the percentage is, 99% of you weren't actually able make it. How do you do that sort of inspiration but yet, prepare them for failure because in essence is it 99 percent? it must be pretty high in terms
0: very high it's 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 certainly going to be close to that in different years it will vary and there'll be some better years than others but the reality is that the majority the vast majority will will not play at the highest level or they won't actually play at a level that gives them an income that they can eventually bring a family up on or whatever it happens to be so we have to be honest with them and 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 i think you know again it, it runs through the whole Part of our value system here, you know, act with integrity is one of our key values. And acting with integrity means people sometimes hearing what they don't want to hear or you telling them things that they would rather they, they, they didn't hear at a particular point in time. And that's obviously got to be done with, with, with care and, and, and sort of um, consideration for their age And also the fact that we're one day trying to inspire them or one morning trying to inspire them and in the afternoon uh, telling them that, you know, despite all their efforts, it it may not end up the way they'd like it to end up. Um, But that's the skill of our coaches. That's the skill of the educators that we have within the academy system. We employ 14 full time teachers to support the education that the kids get in between training to play football. They've got their GCSEs to consider. They've got A-levels to consider. They may even have further education they want to pursue even while trying to be a footballer Um, and we try and support all of those things but as I said it's that education around life as well as academic that's also important and you know just helping them to deal with social media to understand that you know when someone says they don't want your attention in a bar or a nightclub they they mean no, and and you've got to respect that and you've got to be able to handle that disappointment or that rejection whatever it happens to be and that's boys and girls both ways and making sure that that we try and equip them for some of the challenges that life throws at everybody but even as a a professional athlete and and all the attention that comes with that it doesn't give you a right to behave differently to a normal person and in that context so again that education is is part of our responsibility we we embrace it we take it on it costs us a lot of money to take the young people through our academy in, in the way that we do, but it's worth it because if they make it as athletes, it's great for them and it's great for us. If they don't, then at least we've done a little bit to help them to become good people in the community uh, and, and go on with their lives and hopefully become successful in a different way. It seems to me that you, you,
1: through the academy, it's not just about the football, actually. It's a bit more holistic in terms of preparing people for you know adulthood as well in terms of – because I'm sure – there's a load of other skills that they could develop apart from just kicking football. It's leadership, it's communication, it's a whole host of stuff, isn't it? I think, it's, and actually, going through that process because it is about the process, not almost not about the outcome in some ways, can really prepare them for something for their future, can't it?
0: Well, if I if I just take my own example, you know, I was very shy as a child. I didn't particularly. Um, Engaged that well, uh, football was a, a means for me to gain confidence and to gain awareness of teamwork and and um, develop communication skills and take on responsibility and learn how winning felt and how losing felt and how you know accept being accepted felt and how being rejected felt. These are life skills that actually work across every industry and you know enable me to get over the disappointment of never being good enough to be a professional footballer, but somehow finding a way back into football later on uh, that I could use those experiences to help me in this job. But most importantly, you know, the communication skills, the team working skills, the leadership skills, the all of the developing um, attributes of a young person sort of experiencing different things in life. You know, I was exposed to by playing football and, you know, meeting lots of different people and going to lots of different places and having highs and lows and and challenges and disappointments and injuries and setbacks. All those things happen in just about every other job as well in varying degrees and different ways. Um, But football helped me to prepare for those. and I hope that through our academy programme, the holistic way in which we educate young people, they're getting an even better experience um, of learning those skills and, and developing those uh, attributes than I did. Um, and I'm very grateful to football because it did give me that confidence to to do what I do today.
1: I guess one of the, the challenges with to the academy of expectations is probably the parents' expectations, isn't it? And managing that once they've got them in the academy, there's a bit of a, oh, they're going to be the next sort of... Uh, you know Yeah,
0: pa- parents parent. have got understandably high hopes for their children and, and sometimes parents live out their own footballing ambitions vicariously through their children and that's what we have to manage very carefully because again it's the same expectation setting process that not every young person is going to make it to be the next David Beckham or you know the next Premier League footballer or the next women's Super League footballer. We have to actually make sure that the parents understand that the chances of that are actually very low. Um, the best thing the parents can do is to let us do our, our jobs and let our staff do their jobs to give their child the best chance of achieving that. Um, but at the same time, along the way, occasionally parents will, will, will become too involved or add too much pressure or have expectations that are just not consistent with the talent of the, of the child. And they're difficult conversations. And, again, they, they come back down to having staff that are skilled and experienced in that area good communication skills, um, honesty, integrity, uh, making sure that the parents really fully understand you know, what their, their children are going through and, and, and how difficult it is and how the chances of success are actually quite narrow, no matter how good we are at doing what we do. Um, and that's that's hard. As a parent myself, I know what it's like to, to want your children to, to be the best they can be and to achieve the best they can achieve. But you also know that life, brings about disappointment sometimes and and, and you don't always necessarily um, see the success that you want in your your kids Uh, and that's hard that's hard as a parent it's hard as a human being but unfortunately in in top level sport it's a reality you have to face
1: and in your opinion what do you think in in the context of leadership are the obstacles for not developing talent not developing that sustainable sort of pipeline of talent through your business
0: well uh, there's always there's always obstacles of where you lose talent at the time you least expect or need to lose it so in our case that could be a a top player being bought by another club for more money and more wages higher salaries whatever it can be a member of staff who decides for whatever reason at a particular time in their life to leave you just as you've got them and their team working at an optimum level i mean they're the obvious obstacles but they happen in every business and and again You've got to prepare, you know, a, a high degree of, of versatility and resilience to those sorts of things. I think the other thing is 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 is, the, is giving people the confidence that that they can achieve more than they believe, and I think that's a, a constant process that that we have here of 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 making people believe in their own ability and and giving them the license to develop and giving them the license to make mistakes. I think sometimes organizations, certainly in my experience, can constrain someone's ability by almost eliminating the, the risk of them making a mistake. And at the same time, you take away their creativity, you take away their energy, their enthusiasm. So we have a, uh, an open process here where we clearly don't want people to make mistakes on a regular basis and certainly not the same mistake twice. But we do have a higher level of tolerance for when do people do make mistakes, when they're trying to push even harder to be better than, than they are or pushing their team harder to, to achieve more. And that's the same on the field. You know, we've got coaches that will encourage our players to take risks that other players and other teams may not take. And we accept that with those risks are consequences when they go wrong. Uh, and we share those those consequences. You know, it's not about the individual making mistake and therefore he or she is to blame. They've actually tried to improve the organisation or in their case, the team. And as a consequence of that, it's they've taken a risk that has not worked, and we've we've all suffered as a result. But again, I think that's a that's a real constraint to organizations if they are not prepared to take risks and they, they're not prepared to accept that individuals will make mistakes. Human beings make mistakes. However good they are, however talented they are, there will be times when they make mistakes. Again, it's how you how you recover from those how you make sure they don't happen again how you you know make sure that people realize that it's okay to make a mistake if you're trying really hard to be better
1: yeah i think having that uh, healthy tolerance of failure is really helpful and The mindset of saying what can you learn from it and because it's allowing people to sort of push the boundaries you you only get innovation if you fail to get there and and like in people develop people they've got to make some mistakes along the way i think it's really healthy um now we know we're in a a talent shortage and uh, i think um businesses are struggling to you know get talent and I appreciate what you've said uh, to us in this moment uh, Paul in terms of your insights and in how you're developing talent how you're making it sustainable not only for the people within it but also creating a pipeline whether that's footballers through your academy or how you interview people and aligning people to those values that's really helpful and, and thank you for that and if people want to sort of connect with you and get in touch with you what's the best way of doing that?
0: Uh, Probably the easiest thing is to email um, paul.barber at bhafc.co.uk. I'm always happy to to hear from people and to share experiences. And uh, again, part of our culture is, is about that. So very happy to receive emails.
1: Well, thank you for your time today, Paul. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you do like this episode, then please do rate, review and share with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, we coach high performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions. We'll help you to go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation with me. Contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com.